0: All right. So we need to continue where we left off from last lecture. We there's even just 2 hours is not enough, obviously. But what we did last time was look at all the annunciations, right? Annunciation to Zechariah, to Mary, and very very quickly that third little bonus annunciation to Joseph and his role in all of this. Um, a lot more could be said and time will come and we'll have a lot more time to dedicate to all these stories. But now let's continue and look at our Lord's birth and his circumcision on the eighth day. And he's born in Bethlehem. Everyone knows this, right? Jesus is born in Bethlehem. This because of the census, all right? The the Roman emperor has this census because of tax reasons and all that good stuff. And you can see already that God's providence is using even the, the most powerful man in the world in order to accomplish his will, in order to fulfill the scriptures, because Jesus was meant to be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is called the city of David for a couple of reasons. David was born there, so it's very appropriate that if King David was born in Bethlehem, the son of David, the Messiah, capital M, Grand Puba Messiah, would be born there as well. David was also anointed there as king. All right, so this makes a lot of sense why Jesus would be born, and Micah prophesied that the Messiah would be born here in the city of David. So this is Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But you of Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Now this is a the whole context. Whenever we read prophecy, it's so important to go and look at the larger context. And that could be a whole slew of chapters or verses or one chapter. It's really important. But one thing I want to point out with this particular prophecy is not just just that the Messiah, the son of David, the new king, would be born in Bethlehem and that was foretold. That's true. But there's this little detail here who talks about how the ruler of Israel is the origin, the, the, the ruler's origin is from old, from ancient days. This is language to describe the 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 eternal nature of the ruler who is god right the the messiah is going to be the son of david and the son of god that is really important the messiah is divine jesus is divine you're going to see all kinds of little connections with and, and there were prophecies about jesus not just being the king of israel that's true Great, awesome, but there are more details. There are more exciting little tidbits that teach us his identity is divine. It's his origin is is from old, from ancient days, and you find this in Daniel. We're going to talk a lot about Daniel in time in in future lessons, as we have in the past. All right. Well, it goes on now. Bethlehem here. To get back to the notes, Bethlehem means house of bread, and that is very significant in its own right because it most obviously points to Jesus being the bread of life. You go to John chapter six. The famous bread of life discourse. Jesus says, "I am the true bread that comes from heaven. Uh, The bread that I will give to the world is my flesh, etc." Jesus is the heavenly manna, right? And we made all these connections in in past lectures, especially when we're looking at Israel going through the wilderness, the wilderness wanderings. We too are wandering through the wilderness of this life, and Jesus sustains us. With his own body, blood, soul, and divinity given to us in the form of bread. So the fact that Bethlehem means house of bread, pointing to Jesus as the bread of life, that's pretty awesome. And then if you connect it also with the fact that Jesus is laid in a manger, he's not born in a manger, by the way. Uh, that's a little detail. This is <laughs> grammar is important. He's not actually born in the manger, right? He's laid in the manger after he's born. So just a little tidbit there when uh, the little kids' Christmas carols come around every single year. Well, he's laid in a manger and manger is a feeding trough for animals. Mangiare in Italian, manger in, in French, these romantic languages. It's it's where animals eat, right? And that even more points forward to Jesus, uh, Jesus's role as feeding us um, spiritually through his own body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. So I really, really love that. And then the fact that he's laid in a the manger, there's typology here. Now, I told you a couple lectures back here, when we're looking at the life of Jesus the catechism we quote of the catechism the catechism says there's this threefold redemption or threefold uh, mystery being unveiled with our lord's life his words his deeds from the moment he's born to the moment he rises up into heaven through his ascension everything is a you know revelation of the father it's a revelation of redemption and it's a revelation of recapitulation where Jesus recaps or fulfills all the old testament prophecies and promises and figures and whatnot well now i'm going to give you an example of this mystery of redemption as jesus is wrapped in the swaddling clothes and laid in a manger so too this point so this is going to point forward to the end of his life it's going to point forward to the fact that he'll be wrapped in burial clothes and laid in a tomb all right so the fathers have always pointed this out you can read some good commentaries where it quotes the 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 fathers of the church they've recognized this where he's wrapped in these clothes these these garments here laid in the manger that's going to point forward to him being laid in the tomb right so we can see the mystery of redemption the mystery of his death even in the moment of his birth and that's something that just comes to mind right now archbishop sheen i'll quote him a little bit later uh, in just a few minutes because i just love him he's awesome uh, he had said once that you know every man comes into the world in order to live that's our, our purpose. We, we want to have life. We're born to live. But Jesus is the only one who comes into the world in order to die so that we might live. right? And then you can kind of see this mystery right here as I shared the typology foreshadowing of the, of the cross of his death right there in the manger scene. So it's a beautiful thing to keep in mind. Every aspect of our Lord's life points forward to, well, the threefold, the threefold revelation I shared with you, but it, show, it shows us how he came into this world to die for us. All right, now. Here he is. He's born, and obviously we've got to do the highlights. Everything that we do for the life of Christ in the next number of lectures is just going to be the highlights, Uh, the tip of the iceberg, the tip of the Jesus iceberg, you can call it, because we can go so much deeper. I want to just give you the flow here to understand what's happening uh, in kind of this narrative form. So he's laid in the manger. He's born. Beautiful, beautiful scene. I'll, I'll have some meditations here in a moment, more on those, on that scene. But the first people to come and worship him. Are the shepherds. All right. This is an echo of the magnificat, because the shepherds are the lowest of the society, or at least they're in the lowest ranks of society in in Israelite society here. They weren't trusted, you know, they're considered to be outcasts, right? This is really important. It points forward to how our Lord goes after those who are lowly, who are humble, those who are the sinners, the outcasts. So the shepherds are the ones who are able to come in and adore the infant king of the universe. That's that's an echo of the magnificat where we didn't have a lot of time to talk about it. We talked about it with Hannah and her and her song in the Old Testament in First Samuel, but you've got this theme of reversals, right, where the the low will be lifted up, the mighty will fall and the low will be lifted up. And that's what's happening here with the with the shepherds. Now, it, this is all in Luke. Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and following is the whole story of, of, the, of the shepherds here. I'm going to flip there for a second. And it's really interesting. Um, we don't have a lot of time to read all of these particular passages. I have to be very, very selective. Um, but in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it says, In that region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with fear. That's what you always respond to angels in fear. You pretty much soil yourself because they're so magnificent and so glorious. And you're a sinner. Like if you have a vision of an angel, you're going to be filled with fear. Just mark my words. (laughs) And they respond, do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And then you'll find this is the sign for you'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger all right so a couple of things to point out here not just the fact that they're the lowest of society and this is who god this is who god comes for right he comes for those who know they are humble there's a lot of connections there for the uh, beatitudes which we'll talk about in a few lectures down the line um, but those we know if we humble ourselves god will exalt us and we'll be able to worship the true king uh, the king of kings But it says in verse nine, the glory of the Lord shone all round about them. This is super significant. The glory of the Lord, that is the the glory cloud, right? That's the, not the Shekinah, it's the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory cloud. I almost said Shekinah, but the Shekinah, you always want to put the emphasis on the last syllable, right? um, the right emphasis on syllable. That's how you want to, do, that's how you want to do this. But the Shekinah has not been around for centuries, for centuries. If you remember back in lesson 23, I believe it was, we were talking about how the glory of the lord departed from the temple because babylon was well first it shows that through the sinfulness of the uh, of the, the priests and the people god cannot dwell in the midst any longer he has left them because of their choices now babylon's about to come into town and squish the city like a bug and so ezekiel has this vision in ezekiel 10 how the glory of the lord went forth from the threshold of the house now this is right about the year 586 bc when nebuchadnezzar and the babylonians come into town the glory of the Lord leaves and it never comes back. Why? Because the Ark of the Covenant is gone. So if you recall, in Second Maccabees chapter 2, we discussed this, how Jeremiah found a cave. He brought there the tent and the Ark and the altar of incense. He sealed up the entrance and declared, The place shall be unknown until God gathers his people together again and shows them mercy. And then the Lord will disclose these things, and the glory of the Lord in the cloud will appear. All right, that's all super important languages, language because it evokes a new exodus. All right, when God wants to gather his people together again, gather them from all the places where they've been scattered, bring, show them mercy, bring them together, then you're going to see the glory of the Lord again. And what do we find here with these shepherds? Well, the glory of the Lord is back because the time has come for a new exodus. He is showing the people mercy. And now he's going to bring all of them together again through his son in the restored, renovated kingdom of David 2.0, the upgraded kingdom of David, the kingdom of heaven. All right, so this is this is really really important. How the humblest of society they see the glory of the, the glory of the Lord that's been gone for for so many years, almost five hundred years approximately. That's that's insanely exciting then for them, and they go and they see the infant and they worship him, uh, and it, it's a beautiful scene. All right, so. Um, one of the things I want to point out before we move on here is as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is now born here in this not in the manger, but he's born in the cave in this humble in this humble setting. I'd like to point out that many scholars have pointed out, I have some references here in your notes for you, in the footnote, but there's this contrast between Caesar Augustus and little baby Jesus Christ. Because if you if you think back in lesson twenty-six, I introduced to you the vision of Daniel's uh, or not Daniel's vision, but he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's vision, his dream of the statue, and, and there's the different metals right, symbolizing the different kingdoms. And how at the end of the vision of, of King Nebuchadnezzar, there's this stone that's going to come and destroy all these secular, uh, worldly leaders, and it w- the stone will become a great mountain, fill the whole earth, right? This is all a vision of the of the messiah, right? Jesus is the stone and he's going to come and de- dethrone if you want to say every all the worldly pathetic leaders. Okay, that's already happening now in the contrast between Caesar Augustus and G- and Jesus. And Luke Luke is the one who really kind of brings us to the forefront. Now in the 1st century Caesar Augustus himself was the one who was called the divine son of God because he was the son of Julius Caesar, quote unquote son. There's some history there, but suffice to say right now, he was the son of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was declared divine. So Julius Caesar was declared divine. His successor, his adopted son really, is now the divine son of God. Caesar Augustus is the son of the divine Julius Caesar, so he is depicted as the divine son of God, and and Caesar Augustus is the savior of the world because he brought the Pax Romana. He brought peace on earth. The Pax Romana historians all point out like it really was a very peaceful time in the history of of Rome. There things were going well, commerce, uh, economy, uh, trade, all these different things were were flourishing. Right, so. Caesar Augustus was the one who is who was hailed as the who bringing peace on earth, right? So his birthday therefore was celebrated with good news, as good news and good tidings. It was the the gospel of the birth of Caesar Augustus. Okay? So now if you didn't know any better, you would think like this all seems to describe Jesus, and it does. So Luke contrasts Jesus with Caesar Augustus because Jesus is the true son of God. Alright, not by declaring some man divine. No, he in his nature, he's the second person of the Holy Trinity, he's the true Son of God and the real Savior and Lord of all of humanity, who brings peace on earth, and his birthday is hailed as good news by the angels as well. And I have the various references here in Luke where he mentions these specifically. But it's really great. You can begin to see how you know this vision of this statue now is going to be crumbled by the stone, by little baby Jesus here, right? He is the true savior of the world, the true son of God. I really like that contrast a lot.